Welcome to Holistic Trauma Healing, a podcast that empowers you to heal trauma in the same way it has affected you as a whole person. I am Lindsay Lockett, your host. I have discovered a profound path to healing trauma that allows us to move out of the role of victim and into the role of empowered and conscious creator of our best possible reality. I offer hope, healing insights, and practical tips as you get to the root of how trauma has affected every part of your existence and how to weave a new web of life that isn't ruled by the past. Good day to you, or good morning, or good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is that you're listening to this. We've made it to the very last podcast episode of 2020. And I've saved a really important topic for last. I've been wanting to address this on the podcast since before I started it. We're going to talk about ancestral trauma and shamanic healing with Deva Powell. Deva has been practicing shamanism, yoga, and the intuitive healing arts for nearly two decades. He's trained with the Shipibo, Wichol, and Caro lineages, as well as with longtime mentors, Jose and Lena Stevens. His specialties include assisting people with ceremony and ritual, healing trauma, kundalini and psychic awakening, death, loss, and transition, overcoming addictions, the art of protection, and overall spiritual empowerment. Combining deep passion with sincere devotion, Deva offers training and healing sessions to clients from all walks of life. His purpose is assisting clients to find freedom from suffering clarity of purpose, and self-empowerment through sharing the tools and techniques of living an authentic spiritual path. In this episode, Deva and I are going to discuss all things related to ancestral healing, ancestral trauma, and what he does as a shamanic practitioner. We are going to dispel some myths and romanticism that I think all of us have when we hear the word shaman. We're also going to discuss the very real concerns about appropriating and colonizing indigenous traditions. We're going to discuss the importance of working with a shamanic practitioner and how to discern who you're working with because shamanism, unfortunately, as it's being colonized, is also being capitalized on as an industry instead of a traditional practice. We're going to define trauma from a shamanic perspective, and the way that some of these tribes and traditions define trauma is really, really beautiful. We're going to discuss how unconscious most of us are about our ancestry and why we need to start accessing our ancestors. We're going to share the beautiful metaphors of indigenous shamanic traditions in regard to the soul and trauma. We're going to talk about ancestor work and how ancestor work can release patterns of behavior, illness, addiction, and other trauma loops. We're also going to discuss the importance of cultivating and maintaining a relationship with our ancestors and give examples of how ancestral trauma can show up. And finally, we are sharing how shamanic practices help us to live more empowered, more adventurous lives. And if you would like to work with a shamanic practitioner, information on how to do that will be at the end of the episode. So enjoy this super helpful, insightful, intuitive episode about ancestral trauma and shamanic healing with Deva Powell. Hello, Deva. Welcome to the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk about ancestral trauma and shamanic healing today, right? We are. I've mentioned ancestral trauma on the podcast before. I believe that our ancestral lineage, that part of our being is 
like definitely a part of who we are as whole persons. And if we're leaving out that aspect of trauma healing, then I feel like the trauma healing picture is incomplete and it isn't truly holistic because who, where we come from is like definitely a part of who we are. Even if we don't have memories or we don't know the names of people or whatever, it's still part of who we are. And so I would love it if you would tell us more about how you got into this work and why you do it and just dive into all that. Yeah. Yeah. I found this work or this work really found me maybe 18, 19 years ago, something like that. In 2000, I was really just going down a self-destructive path and, and through a series of uh, synchronicities and some auspicious things, I, I just had what is classic in some shamanic texts of just a death and rebirth experience. Very often in my study of shamanism, that is one of the main ways that a person comes into practicing shamanism is that there's some kind of illness or there's some kind of initiation that radically changes their orientation in life from what was once some egoic personality to someone different. So that kind of happened to me almost about 20 years ago. And subsequently after that, I just started following the cookie crumbs really and my intuition. And it wasn't until I met my, my partner and was introduced to her teachers that I found something that was really formal around shamanism. Before that, even as a small child, I was very much already practicing shamanism. It was just something that was more magical or something that just evolved or just came forth from just like, I felt very much akin to certain weather systems, times of year, animals, practices. I would make my own sweat lodge in my bathroom and stay in there for an hour until I had visions and things that I just didn't know were real or existing. I was just following some kind of inner uh, compass. So in 2003, I, I found some of my first teachers and began to practice shamanism formally. And that really evolved things. It showed me that there's uh, a path and that there's a way of holding space in a, a sacred container that can manifest intention and create healing and let go of just a lot of fear or trauma or heaviness. I took to it really quickly. It was just exactly what I'd been looking for. And then since then, I just began uh, not too long after that in 2006, some of my beginning of my formal training with, with mentors that were much further ahead, 20, 30 years older than me, and also indigenous peoples too. I've been in the jungle many times in Peru and worked with the Shipibo people. And I worked with the Caro people up in the high Andes of Peru. And, and I've been to the sacred medicine lands of the Huichol people in Mexico many times. So it just began as something very deep and personal and intuitive. And really just what I thought was a flight of imagination when I was younger, finding some experiences that blew me open that then led me to taking what I already had a natural talent in and adding experience, adding tools and techniques, adding mentorship. So I didn't get lost along the way. And then really just over the years, I've just been practicing on myself so much that a natural byproduct of that was people started asking for assistance and people started asking for resources and asking me to help them. And it just evolved from there until that's what I do full time for a living. And, and I love the path and it's just an amazing path. And some people have some inkling of what it may mean or may not mean. And so there's some myths to dispel perhaps, and a lot of idealism that people bring to it, but that's a little bit about my background. Nice. For those of us who are, have the myths in our heads, 
what exactly is a shaman and what are some of the myths or romanticized things that we have in our heads that you could be like, actually, this is not how it is. <laughs> sure. Just to be clear, I don't consider myself a shaman. Anyone who considers himself or promotes themselves as a shaman, it, it, I don't know. It's like calling yourself a guru. It's, it's a little pompous and <clears throat> You may have others that call you that, but I call myself a shamanic practitioner. So I practice shamanic techniques, more of an earth-based spirituality. So that's just clarification I like to put out there. A couple of things that people really get caught up in is that shamanism just means one thing. And really it's a vast, diverse, creative, there's a multiplicity of different kinds of indigenous people uh, peppered across the globe that have some similarities and a lot of differences in the way in which they have stories around the land, around spirit, around soul, different kinds of healing techniques or techniques that allow you to become more altered or shift your state of consciousness in order to receive information or to go places. Uh, I think one of the myths is that, that it means one particular thing and it doesn't. Shaman, in, in fact, is just one word that has gotten popularized over the last hundred years from anthropologists comes from Siberia. It means one who, one who sees in the dark or one who knows, one who sees beyond the superficial and deeper layers of one's reality. So that's one thing. And I think a lot of people really get caught up in the romanticism of it and people are seeking. And sometimes they're, they've been very jaded or wounded or traumatized from their own spiritual background, whether it be religion or, or just a parent or just education, just being, being hit out of them. And uh, a lot of people will sometimes just be really naive and they'll transfer kind of some of their way of seeing reality into a more shamanic orientation or philosophy. And then they just give all their power to that new structure instead of really seeing shamanism as a set of techniques and tools that you practice yourself in order for you to experiment, to grow, to transform, and to continuously evolve and mature your way of being in a human body and being in relation to others and the earth and allowing that to blossom and continuously blossoms and unfolds. So it's really more of a set of techniques and tools that help you to be more empowered and less a some kind of thing just to put all your energy into that uh, is going to give you all the answers or save the day or a lot of people just oh i'm gonna just go find a shaman and just train from a shaman and shamans are definitely humans there's a lot out there that have maybe not done the work so much on themselves or their hearts or they've taken shortcuts or they're just flat out charlatans and just looking to make money because there's a big industry these days around that. So those are some things that people may think of when they think of shamanism that may not necessarily be exactly the reality on the ground level. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, it totally does. You mentioned earlier that you've worked with some indigenous tribes and have traveled to various places to study and learn. And something that I've seen on social media is there is an outcry from indigenous people who see their traditions and their ways appropriated by white people who may not be trained, who may like not understand the culture and the tradition that those things come from and who have colonized it. So I'm wondering if you can talk about why you've chosen to actually study with those tribes and go to those places and 
Do you feel like you have been made part of those traditions? Because you're a white guy, right? Like you're a white guy. Do you hear people asking for these things to not be colonized and not be appropriated? And if so, like, how are you handling that? Sure. It's a good question. A lot of depth there. The way that I was introduced to working with these tribes was very much through like synchronicity and through just things happening. More of a magnetic calling of spirit to follow that inner guidance. A lot of my, my primary teachers, Jose and Lena, they did a lot of groundwork many years before of finding people that are authentic and that were also like older souls and that had more of an agreement to assist people that were different than the tribe or different than people around there. And it, it's just common in, in human history. When people go places, there's cross-pollination. You can think of us as plants almost or as butterflies going from flower to flower. And so going to work with an indigenous people, it's even with your most altruistic best intentions, they're going to become more like you. You're going to become more like them. And I, I see it a lot. There's certain textiles and ways of dress that I see the Shipibo people as part of their sacred lineage. And then I'll be on Facebook and I'll see like an ad for a bikini with that pattern on it. And it's really a bummer and it, it does turn my stomach a bit. And I just see a lot of younger people getting into work, into shamanism, who haven't worked with any indigenous people or even like a, a mentor that might be American or white that's farther along, that's authentic. And they're just dabbling and just playing. And at the same time, that's part of human history. And that's always how it's been. It's nothing new under the sun. It's just easier to see because we're all so globally interconnected. So there is sometimes uh, a certain lack of respect for the lineage or tradition, a certain lack of being humble. There's definitely plenty of arrogance out there. You know, I can only speak for myself and that I was led by experiences to be in these places at these times to work with these people and that they were very open to teaching me as a, a gringo, as a, an outsider, and not only very open to teaching me, but encouraging of me to take what I've learned and to help. So it's interesting because when you're down there, there's people who profit off this. And then there's a lot of impoverished people down there who see the people who are being more abundant with working with folks and get quite jaded or angry or so there's a lot of politics they call it like tribal politics that can happen where there's the haves and the have-nots and even if there's like in a group of older souls that have an agreement from spirit you could say to teach certain people that aren't in the tribe and those people who are learning are extremely like authentic sincere respectful and only share that with permission. You're going to have other people in the tribe that are jealous, that are, that want a piece of that action that will talk or gossip or feel diminished by that. So it is, it's a big phenomenon. It's really human nature doing these things, but really where it gets, I think, gnarly is there's companies that will take that and run with it and market it and push it. And there's just so many people I've met. I live in Austin. There's a lot of younger folks here, a lot of people who are ripe for this kind of work. And I've just seen so many people who've done like a ceremony or maybe even gone to the jungle and work with indigenous people and come back. And then they announce themselves as arrived and they wear a certain set of clothes or they speak in a certain way. I just keep to myself and just try to be as sincere and humble as possible. And there's not much I can do about all the other stuff. I don't know if that's exactly what you were looking for, but that's what I, I, I wasn't looking for anything. I just, I know that's a topic that it needs to be brought up, like the way in which 
indigenous practices have been colonized and appropriated. And I feel you are honoring the traditions that you have studied under. You've done the work. You've been invited by these tribes to participate. They've willingly taught you. You haven't done like one ceremony and then come back and put on your tribal garb and then declared yourself a shaman, which I think you're right, is something that we need to be watching out for and have big red flags about. And so thank you for speaking to the importance of honoring those traditions and having your stomach turned by seeing a bikini with a native pattern on it that is, it's just been capitalized. So that's really important. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about trauma from a shamanic perspective. Sure. It depends on different tribes, of course, they have different uh, perspectives. A general overview of from a shamanic point of view is that trauma is something that has a lot of uh, volume to it, something that happens to us that really makes the emotions activate, it makes the body go into a shock state. So usually it's something that we're not expecting that happens that kind of throws us, or it could be something that we are expecting to have happen but that's still just really hard, like losing the a loved one that you're really attached to. So on a shamanic point of view, what they would say is when there's a trauma or a shock, it, it can be so uncomfortable that some part of ourself wants to disassociate, or there's some part of ourself that gets compartmentalized within our bodies in order to allow us to continue to live and, and to move forward as best we can. And so they would call that soul loss that there's some part of our totality that had such a a rough time being in proximity with like terror or grief or loss or fear that it just left. When that piece of ourself leaves or when we compartmentalize that or disassociate, we're less than our previous self. It's like we're walking around that we can be like, it just seems like there's a vacancy. I see it all the time in people, especially here in Austin, there's quite a big homeless population and not all of the homeless folks are like this. Some people are just choosing to live a more simple life, but very often I'll see somebody's eyes and they've just had so much happen to them when they were much younger and they had that vacancy and are searching for something and they're searching through it through meth or heroin or and uh, it just creates just a shell of their former selves. Uh, so they have, shamanically speaking, some soul loss, quite a bit of soul loss. And that's something in our modern, more scientific uh, paradigm that we don't necessarily address, like how to bring that part of the self back. Some therapy works on certain levels, but there's also sometimes that spiritual component that needs to be addressed in order for real deep wholeness to come back in. So that's something that shamanically speaking, shamanic practitioners, people practicing are continuously doing is finding some part of themselves that they've lost through time. And this can even go back through ancestors and calling that part of themselves back so that they are more full of power and more full of wisdom and more full of spirit stuff like life. And the more and more of that you do, like the better your life gets. That's a piece that people talk a lot about everyone being a song like our soul is equivalent to being, to having a song and that our soul is just like vibration and light and intelligence that in our physical universe is singing itself into existence continuously and trauma or things having happened to us 
can be like that song or that tapestry being frayed or tattered, or there's just like a dullness on there or a lot of layers on top of that song that don't allow the vibration or the light of our totality to, to come through in a coherent, harmonious way. It sounds distorted. It sounds off. And so they work a lot with sacred singing to reweave the tapestry of the pattern of the soul so that those parts that were traumatic that got frayed can be like rewoven, so to speak. And in the overview, it's like a lot about soul retrieval or becoming more whole again or remembering to remember oneself back to the greater body. Of course, we're just one part of our soul and we're also just one part of our ancestors. There's a much greater body with which we're connected to. And when we remember that, that does take some healing sometimes to remember ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. I got chills whenever you said that the Shipibo tribe, they see the, the soul as a song and I just really resonated. And I wanted to like, just sit and hold space for that for a minute. Cause I felt like that was just worth like sitting with for a second and acknowledging how beautiful that is. So you mentioned ancestors. So let's talk about ancestors who or what are the ancestors? They're very mysterious. <laughs> of course there's, there's, our lineage, our blood, and our blood is rich. We carry a lot in our genes, in our you know, genetics, much of which we're just really unconscious to. A lot of how we operate and run, genetically speaking, our bodies have inherited the hardware of our ancestors, of our mom and our dad and back and beyond. But then there's also <clears throat> the software that we've inherited that runs the hardware, the information that's running the biological computer that we are. And I, this is what I see in my, my practice all the time with my clients is people will struggle again and again, over and over with certain things in their lives, their whole lives that they can't really get on the other side of, or they can't quite master. And it just keeps coming back. And a lot of times the, the things that we're struggling with are just the tip of an iceberg that we're aware of. And then underneath that, there's a much larger body of influence guiding our behavior, guiding just how we are. And that, that bigger body is an ancestral body that we're connected to in the bloodline, in our genetics. And so it, it's interesting because if you think of, and some do, some don't, of, if you think of more of like us as souls reincarnating from lifetime to lifetime in human bodies, at times we can be our own ancestor. And we're working on things that we put into motion five, 10 generations back. So we're inheriting our own ancestral patterns that we ourselves did and passed through the bloodline and then maybe healing it for the bloodline. For instance, I've really mastered and healed a lot of powerful addictions to alcohol and to, to tobacco in my bloodline. That goes as far back as I'm aware of with a lot of cancer and a lot of bad things that have happened from it. Not only have I healed that for myself and for my daughter so that she doesn't carry that forward, but I've also healed that for my ancestors who struggled with it for a long time. We can be our own ancestors, which is a paradox and interesting to think of. But also when we connect with the ancestors through practices, through dreams, um, through ceremonies, or through altered states, we get more clarity on things that, that they struggled with that we can help them with 
as well as just a tremendous resource of wisdom. And if you think about it, we've had ancestors who've had really crappy, horrible, traumatic lives, depressed, subjected, and dominated. We've also had ancestors that were like, had really affluent lives and had influence and lived much more easily. And then there's also ancestors who like, they woke up within a human life. They were really empowered. They were really wise. They chose compassion. And so when we start to work with the ancestors, we start to work with some of the deeper imprinting and patterning that operates within us. One, to be able to be more liberated ourselves in our lives, make freer choices, to help heal our bloodline and our lineage from those things that were traumatic that happened that didn't have resolution. And then three is really so that we don't have to make the same mistakes that our ancestors did, that we can be open to receiving guidance from our ancestors and that wisdom and that love and that light in a way that helps us to not, if we're going down a particular path, we don't have to stumble or hit our foot on the same rock that our ancestors did. When we have access to ancestors and ancestral energy and wisdom, we don't make those same mistakes. We can choose different things so that generationally, we're not like just doing the same movie over and over. It's not like Groundhog Day, because that's not why we're here to evolve. But a lot of people are just completely unaware of just how much of their ancestry and their imprinting is really influencing their lives. Absolutely. It's interesting that you mentioned alcohol and tobacco use as something that you've healed in your own ancestry and how that has a ripple effect going backwards and also forwards. Because I think I've certainly come into contact with a lot of people who there's this whole science of genetics and stuff. And so we see things like mental illness or alcoholism or addiction or heart disease or whatever, and that it runs in families. And so it's if your dad and your grandfather and your great grandfather all had high blood pressure and heart problems, then the chances of you having high blood pressure and heart problems is astronomically greater than someone who doesn't have that family history. And I scratch my head at that and I'm like, sure, I think that there probably is a genetic component, but just because you have a genetic tendency or predisposition for something doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get that disease or have that problem. But how much of it really, is it genetic or is it the traumas from our ancestors before us and how the, what they went through has altered their genetic expression? And how much of it is maybe not genetic at all? How much of it actually is just like ancestral trauma? And that's why addiction runs in families. I think that there's so much happening in the spirit realm, in the ancestral realm that we are so completely unaware of, that we don't know about, we don't know where we came from. We don't take the time to study our families and the people who came before us and see the patterns in their lives and how those patterns might be reenacting in our lives. And that the reason that those patterns are reenacting in our lives is because ultimately the universe wants us well. And the only way to get well is to recognize, oh, here's what's making me sick. <laughs> and then, and working on that. And I'll, in the show notes, I'll link to the exact study, but there's a study that Mark Wolin in his book, It Didn't Start With You, he talks about a study in mice where they were exposed to some scent that smelled like cherry blossoms. I can't remember the name of the chemical. 
but they were exposed to a scent. It smelled like cherry blossoms. And then at the same time they were exposed to this scent, they were also delivered an electric shock. Over and over they were exposed to this scent and every time they were delivered an electric shock. And so they came to associate the scent with the electric shock. And then those mice had babies and their babies were also exposed to the same scent, but the babies were not delivered an electric shock. However, they responded in the same way as their parents who had received an electric shock responded. And so that was this like groundbreaking study that shows that what our parents or grandparents experienced can carry through into subsequent generations and really affect subsequent generations. And that's why ancestor work is so important. Have you heard of that study I'm talking about? No, not specifically, but I have, I have in some roundabout way, I think, but not that specific study. Yeah. And this is just a really uh, awesome, like scientific example, of kind of what we're speaking about. Yeah. Um, in my own personal life, like my family has had history of colitis, inflammation of the colon and my brother and my dad and my uncle. And I don't know how far back it goes because really it, um, not connected to a lot of my ancestors. My family was very military, but that was part of it. Yeah. I have that predisposition and I noticed it earlier in life, but I treated it well with, with diet, but more than that, like just in my healing practice towards myself over the years, what I uncovered was just like in the colon, just this real deep tribal identity around being in the military and being uber masculine. And I'm the only I'm the only grandchild of both my mom and my dad's lineages that didn't join the military or the only girl that didn't have a military partner. Wow. So I, I did my own thing. And part of that is I, I feel I, I didn't succumb to what could have happened in my colon, like all my other uh, family members, because I have great access to the feminine and I have great access to my creativity. And I'm not just like doing exactly what everyone expects me to do, which was be in the military and stifle my individuality, stifle my creative energy, stifle the feminine force and, and just follow orders and do what I'm supposed to do. Whereas they do, they just bought into that program or that matrix. And I, I think that has a big part of the body ancestrally of, hey, hey, let's heal this military imprinting. Let's be more creative. Let's be ourselves. Let's evolve like our membership within the tribe. And that the bodies are trying to get them to wake up to that through drastic measures. And I have had tendencies in earlier of going into that direction and it hasn't happened at all. And I, I really attribute that to the deep healing work I've done on myself in that area and in other areas as well. So that's an example of my own personal life of all these things are designed to help us to change. Then there's always a chance of like amazing miracles happening. I've seen it over and over again, personally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have an example from my family as well. In my dad's family, all of the men, like my, even my brother and my dad and my uncle and their dad and his brothers. And as far back as I know, all have high blood pressure, a tendency towards heart attacks or things like that. And it's just very interesting to see because obviously I know that could affect me as well. Like just because I'm a girl doesn't mean that I'm immune to that or whatever, but it's interesting that how 
this lineage of men on my father's side and how similar their personalities are and how similar their struggles that they've had in their lives are. And then also how similar their health has been. And to me, it's just, okay, maybe we could say that the health thing, that there's a genetic tendency towards that. It's super strong. And the men in my family, okay, maybe that. But then you also have the personality things and the habits that they have and the language that they speak and their mindsets about things and whatever. And I think the more I piece those things together, the more I can see that I don't know exactly what the ancestral trauma is, but whatever it is, it strongly affects the men in my family on my father's side because they all have very similar. They're all very stubborn. They're all like hard asses. They're like, they're sensitive with girls usually, but not with other men. It's almost like this toxic masculine thing that got passed down and like their relationships with their sons were very strained. And it's just, it's a whole fascinating thing. And I'm the only person in my family who has this awareness that ancestral trauma is even a thing. And I just wonder if it's, I feel like one of my purposes in life was like to come to this earth because I'm aware and I know that these things are things that I want to heal and I don't want passed down to my children. And I want the work that I do to have the ripple effect where it not only heals generations to come, but it also heals generations before me and those ancestors who may not be well in spirit. Sorry, I know that was like a long rambly thing, but I just, I find it really interesting that you've noticed those patterns in your family as well. And obviously I don't think there's a genetic predisposition for joining the military. (laughs) So could you talk about what do you see as far as in other people that you've worked with, what patterns have you seen that people have become aware of and have been able to heal? Can you give some concrete examples of that? Yeah. For instance, I have a client now who it just seems like it's a generational thing of going back to masculine, feminine dynamics, which is big. It just needs a lot of healing right now. Just a lot of, of the masculine, of the dad feeling entitled to other family members' energies, almost like feeding off of that, needing that to just feel like the batteries are full. And I've had some clients and this one in particular, just recently through some inquiries on my end and some healing work over time has really allowed herself to, to take back her power and to be entitled to her own energy, to her own vitality as a woman, but also as just a soul, as a human, and really putting up some boundaries and some protection around her her dad, who's lost his mind, he's crazy. And that tendency, I think, is part of her family's lineage is like a little bit of mental instability, a a big kind of vacillation of who's going to be there at any one moment, you don't know what to expect. And her just being senior in her own space, having agency in her own space, and it being awkward and feeling strange, but mitigating a lot of the drama or melodrama that she re- would receive the way that she was a puppet when her dad's energy would come in has been very revolutionary for her and for her family now and for her daughter. It's just like bringing in way more peace and creativity and like kind of fresh start and new way of being. And oddly enough, the, the healing that she's doing on herself has had a ripple effect on him. And it's forcing him to look at things that he wouldn't have looked at otherwise because there was a certain dynamic in play. So that's one kind of instance of just like masculine dominance, of just being entitled to 
being the king, so to speak, or a tyrant, really. That And also with that came uh, some mental illness around fluctuation of emotion, of worry, of fear, existential fear of the unknown. And because of that, she feels balanced. It's not even like a swing to the other end. It's just more, she's not terrified of the future. She's not terrified of making the wrong choice um, or terrified of doing that to her family. I don't know if that's the best example, but that's more recent one that's come to mind of somebody who's been working with me and is feeling really empowered and embodied. And in that, so to speak, as far as the trauma goes, she's setting some boundaries and, and through some work, what we've done is like bringing back those pieces of herself as a small child so that she is more stable and she's less on a yo-yo all over the place. And she has more soul in her body and she's more embodied in her essence and more empowered and can make more creative choices based on what she wants to create, not what she's reacting to from her past or responding to what she thinks she needs to do, but just creating from her totality what she wants and how she wants to move forward. So that's one example. That's really beautiful. That's amazing. And so much there that like seems... It's not, I don't know how you worked with her. I don't know how you work with your clients. We'll get into that in a minute, but I don't know if y'all had a a ceremony and her ancestors came through to you and had this vision or she had this vision of them and then translated out whatever it was that they had to say. But I'm guessing that it was like a little bit more subtle than that. (laughs) And like, those are things, what you just talked about with her, like embodying her true essence and finding herself and being able to set these boundaries. And those things are really big things, but often the way that we step into those things comes by really subtle shifts. And it's not, I go and I have a session with you and like my ancestors come through and then all of a sudden it's poof, everything is well. And I'm like empowered and walking in my true self and being in my essence and being totally my own person and not affected by all that. It doesn't happen just like poof like that. It's more like subtle shifts, but it's amazing how It doesn't even really take that much time sometimes if you're super open to whatever happens that those shifts can come about, but then they can affect you in such profound ways. Am I making sense? (laughs) Yeah, you're making sense. I think that's also another kind of myth that people have about this path is it's got to be all magical or like huge omens or complete profound revelations that come through and they can for sure. But those are usually the result of a lot of small, subtle steps that are self-engaged or self-initiated that then get to a point where there's moments like those subtle shifts have big breakthroughs either in the moment, maybe not so much, but later on, or they build up to something where there's a bigger experience of what I call essence contact, where you just have uh, a deep uh, intimacy with your own self, your own soul on a deep level. And those kinds of experiences change everything. But yeah, it takes work to get there. And, and part of that is calling on support from our ancestors and our allies and guides, and kind of the spirits, you could say. I do that every day. I'm in relationship with the ancestors. I'm in relationship with my allies. I, I thank them every day so that our relationship is strong so that if I need something at any time in my life that I can call on my helpers and they're there for me. But I also still have to do the work. That's part of why we're here is to have a human experience and to, we are spirit. We're not, spirit's not some person on a cloud just watching over us. It's like, we are spirit. And so we're here to create. We're here to make 
choices and we're here to fail and we're here to have victories and we have the whole gamut of being human. But for sure, yeah, it's like a, a lot of it is subtle sometimes, subtle shifts, subtle realizations, reframing. And that's where the tools come in handy of just having a practice every day to keep yourself clean and to have greater, more coherent communication with something greater than yourself so that you feel like you're not doing it all alone. Yeah. So can you elaborate more? I think this concept might be new to a lot of people listening of having a relationship with their ancestors and cultivating that. And it's even a fairly new concept for me. It's really only been something that I've been doing for the last two to three years, maybe. So it's a pretty recent thing in my life. So can you talk more about like the importance of having a relationship with your ancestors, how to cultivate that relationship? Do we need to have a relationship with all of our ancestors? My understanding from reading Daniel Four's book, Ancestral Healing, is that there are some ancestors who are well in spirit and have joined like the cloud of ancestors who are accessible to us and they've done their soul work and their karma work and then there's ancestors who are not well and have not joined that cloud of ancestors and so those are the kind of the ancestors that maybe we don't need to be directly communicating with but we need to let our well ancestors communicate with those ancestors and try to bring them into the cloud of the well ancestors are you familiar with any of what i'm talking about or does it just sound like total nonsense <laughs> No, it makes sense. Yeah. That's something that I think is happening right now collectively is collectively people are starting to experience just the result of thousands and thousands of years of collective trauma passed forward. And a lot of that's coming up and it's been real gnarly this year because uh, we're dealing with things that we've been putting off. And in order to have greater connection to those ancestors that are wise and powerful, sometimes we have to heal what's in the way which is ancestors and ancestral lineages and patterns that we've inherited that they keep us depressed or keep us angry or violent or whatever those kind of tendencies are. So it's interesting. I, I live close to Mexico, Day of the Dead, around Halloween every year. There's a lot of honoring of the dead through an ofrenda, an, an altar where you have pictures and you put out things that they enjoyed. I do that every day. I don't necessarily have a huge, I have a lot of altars, but something I do is I have some, I, I work with sacred tobacco. I don't smoke per se, but I do it with prayers. Smoke is a really wonderful way of working non-linearly, doing some healing in the past, whether it's your own personal past from five years ago, or whether it's something that happened to your grandmother or beyond. And, but gifts, like a little bit of chocolate, and you can do this for the earth, a little bit of chocolate as a gift to the, to mother earth. That allows the consciousness of earth to know that you are humble and that you care and that you're offering something. And so there's reciprocity that comes from that and a building of relationship. It can be like that with anything. It can be like that with a specific species of tree or a location where there's waterfall that you have affinity towards and has power or your ancestors. The ancestors are like you were saying, a cloud or, or a greater collective of intelligence I tend to have three particular ancestors that are more high-end, more masterful that I work with on a conscious level that have access to the greater body, so to speak. So I don't have to like get all confused with all these ancestors. And then the ancestors that sometimes need help or healing, those will come up at different points in my life where 
I'm dealing with my own thing, like all of a sudden, like maybe my lower back hurts and there's a certain lesson coming into my life. Maybe I just got betrayed by a, a good friend or, or something that was once compatible in my personality. I'm starting to see that it's not compatible anymore and that it's something that I inherited and it's ancestral and it's more in my awareness. And because of that, then I can specify through my practice, like perhaps some ancestors or just, just an energy pattern that needs to be healed. And I can call on the ancestors that are my guides and allies that are like more masterful to help me work with that. And then that can translate to those ancestors that had a hard time. One of the ways that people like have a lot of ancestral trauma is through war. War are just huge events where all kinds of horrible things can happen. And then people come back from war and they're not the same. And then they perpetuate the human species and they pass things down. And there's just been a lot of violence on our planet. A lot of it is, it can be very simple. The Caro people in the high Andes, they call it Aini. It just means reciprocity. The idea is if you want to be closer to something, you spend time with it. If you want to have a deeper relationship with something or someone, you spend time, you make an effort, you invest in it. And part of doing that with the spiritual realm in all religious and spiritual traditions has always been like offerings, doing little offerings, like a little bit of tobacco or a little bit of sage with intention is just a way of creating kind of a currency or a flow between you and something else that maybe is non-physical that then can influence you while you're meditating or synchronistically as you're moving about your day or in your dreams. Dreaming is just an ultimate way that you can have access to things that are non-physical, non-linear, ancestral. All of it's a language that you have to practice and become more fluent at over time. But yeah, having a, a daily practice is so important, not only for our own physical, emotional, mental, energetic, spiritual hygiene, but also our relationships to others, our relationship to our ancestors and to just to the to spirit world, to spirit in general. Without that, it's just too easy to get seduced these days or to get caught up in other people's agendas. Or if you don't brush your teeth every day, there's repercussions from that. If you don't have a practice every day, clean your heart every day, you don't clean your mind every day, there's repercussions from that as well. Does that make sense? Or do you have any? Yeah, I don't know. It totally does. It, I, maybe the only reason it makes sense to me is because I do those things as well. So when I go into the woods, I like to do a lot of foraging and a lot of hunting for plants uh, or talking to plants to either make flower essences or tinctures. And so I'm communicating with plants. And this past summer, I had a really powerful experience with a plant called ghost pipe. And I was feeling super anxious and very rubbed up in my nervous system. And I went out into the woods and I was walking up and down the path of the woods and I was just shaking my whole body, just shaking and crying. And my eyes were closed as I was just walking up and down this path. And then whenever I opened my eyes, the first thing that my eyes focused on was this little bunch of ghost pipe that was just growing up out of the ground. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even know these grew right here in my woods. And then I shifted my gaze over to something else. And there was another little cluster of ghost pipe. And then I shifted and it was like everywhere. And I've lived here for five and a half years. I've walked those paths for five and a half years and had never seen ghost pipe there before ever. But everywhere that my gaze focused, it was there. And it was like, I could feel my ancestors being like, this is the medicine that you need right now. Like we've provided it for you. It's here right now. And so I, I sat with the ghost pipe for a minute and I hope that no one 
sends me a, a hateful email or whatever, because I know there's a lot of controversy about harvesting ghost pipe and whether that's even sustainable or like healthy or whatever. But this is an instance where I think like when the ancestors and the earth give you permission and like you intuitively feel that the earth is, yes, this is the gift that I'm giving you right now. So I did, I harvested some of the ghost pipe. I made it into a tincture, but as a way of saying thank you to the ancestors and also to the earth is I got my tobacco and I sprinkled it like all over the woods as a way of being like, here's this thing that I'm giving back to you because you've just given me this ghost pipe so generously. And so I do that with any flowers that speak to me that are like, make me into an essence. I will leave something. We also have a little, this is going to tell people how like really woo woo I am, but we also have a little land spirit that lives on our land. And I see, I think it's a him, but I see him flash by as like a little shadow across the front of my house pretty frequently. And I saw him all the time whenever we first lived here, just like a shadow, just scurry across my yard really fast. And I never felt threatened or anything by it. I was just like, okay, cool. There you are. Thanks for being here. And then I went like a year without seeing the little land spirit. And so I was talking to one of my friends about this and she was like, maybe he doesn't feel welcome anymore. Maybe he needs like an offering. And so I tuned in to my intuition and we have a sauna outside and we have a bird bath sitting outside the sauna. And my intuition was like, he lives beyond the boundary of the sauna and the bird bath. Like that's where he lives and leave him an offering of salt in the bird bath. And so I sprinkled some salt in the bird bath and just let it be there. And eventually, of course, it dissolved away. Like I never went and got it back out. But then it wasn't too long, like maybe a month later, I started seeing him again. <laughs> and it was just a really cool experience that like, there are so many things, whether it's ancestors or land spirits or light beings or like whatever that are, we can't see them, but they're there. And sometimes we can't see them, but they're there. And they really, I think most of the time, they just want us to acknowledge them and to be grateful for them and for their presence and give them little gifts. Because I don't know what that land spirit does, but I have the idea that like he really loves being on my land and running around and playing on my land. And he's probably protecting it in some way. And so it's, it's just a very small thing that I can do to sprinkle a little bit of salt in a bird bath and be like, hey, little guy, thanks for being here. You're welcome here and enjoy this. And I'm grateful for you. And it was actually my best friend who taught me to leave offerings whenever we go out in, into nature. And even if we're not taking anything out of nature, that it's okay to just like go and hug a tree and then leave an, a sprinkle of tobacco right there just as a way of appreciating the tree and its energy and its presence and the fact that it's like, there giving you something solid to hold on to in that moment. And it's just been a really beautiful experience and a way to slow down and connect with the earth and with the land. And another thing that I do is I have a bench in my alt in my office that I use as an altar. And anytime I want to do like a little ceremony where I draw some cards or whatever, I always get a bowl and I fill it with fresh water and I put it out and I'm like, here ancestors, here's a little bit of water for you. Thank you for being here. I'm calling on you. If there's anything that you need me to know at this time, I'm opening myself up to that. And here's a way that I'm showing appreciation. I think people think that it has to be this big elaborate ceremony like every single day. And it really doesn't. It really can be as simple as like putting a bowl of fresh water out and with the intent that like, this is for my ancestors. Exactly. Yeah, it's all about intention. It's about intention and, and just feeling the, like having the intention to do something, give something like that. It can be very subtle or small. But that's just a symbol. What is something that doesn't 
live in a human body or in a physical form really need with some tobacco. It's like a phenomenal level. It doesn't make sense, but it's, it's the intention and it's the heart with which you put things into. And yeah, those gifts can be little, but they have big effects. So for sure, it makes it easier for people to start somewhere when they're not so overwhelmed with, oh, I have to do this elaborate ceremony or it's this super complex technology of shamanism or it's no, it doesn't have to be like that at all. Yeah. We have friends who practice Norse heathenry and they, we haven't done this in a long time because of COVID, but we, when we would go to their house for Yule, for example, they have a big Yule celebration every year and they have a space on their hearth to just light a little tea light for your ancestors. And then they make a, a small plate of food and set it on that hearth. And that's the ancestors plate of food. And it's just, there's no like pomp and circumstance about it. There's not like a big ritual or anything. It's literally just lighting a candle and making them a plate with a little bit of all the food that's there, setting it there, leaving it there for 24 hours and then discarding the food. It's not a huge thing, but it's so powerful in the way that even just during the, the meal, looking up and seeing the candles lit and that little plate of food there, it's our ancestors are with us right now and it's really special. So can we shift over into talking about, I think we have talked about this some so far, but I want to talk more specifically about trauma that's passed through the bloodline and shamanic healing and like how that applies to the everyday person. We don't all have access to a shamanic practitioner like yourself, although you do distance ceremonies and sessions and stuff. So we actually all can have an access to a shamanic practitioner, but I'd love to talk about just like trauma passed through the bloodline and just maybe even some more examples of what that looks like, how people can know, like just a way to give people awareness of, oh, maybe this is an ancestral thing, that light bulb switching on and then practical applications for like how we go about working with that and healing that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Some ancestral stuff that I see quite often is around mental health. And in particular, what's interesting is this is somewhat common where people come to me and they've had a family member or a series of family members generationally who were not crazy, but maybe there's some schizophrenia or like multiple personality disorder or just like mood swings or manic stuff. And a lot of it is that we have these natural talents, that we're intuitive people, that we have psychic capabilities, and that is not validated in our culture. And so that when people start to exhibit some of those signs modernly and more recently, they're uh, given just a lot of medication or just judged or institutionalized or, or they just do a lot of damage because they don't know quite what they're playing with or what they're doing. Applying some intentional technique and some some guidance and some information about that can help people become more intuitive and become more psychic and to just embrace that birthright in a way that helps to heal the ancestors in a way that allows somebody to be their more full self. So I see that a lot where people are wanting to step into their abilities things that they know that they can do or have done in the past, but that they're afraid of because they have these models of in their ancestry that really got lost in it, really misused it perhaps. And so helping people to navigate that kind of an awakening 
and what all that entails and what all kind of arises within that. So that's something that I see and work with often. People going through like a psychic awakening and are freaking out. People who are going through the Kundalini awakening and freaking out and helping them to navigate those spaces and go into the dark and understand things and come back into the light. So that's one example. Um, how that's applied is different from each person. Each client is their own unique little microverse that we, we have to tune into and see what is the right medicine for that person. A lot of talk about medicine and shamanism, whether that's the medicine through plants or animals or places or other things. I do see that quite a bit, a lot of mental illness that can be worked on and helped heal. There's a, a lot that I see too that gets passed down ancestrally is a lot of like suicide, people who have killed themselves and the effect that has left not only on them, in some kind of subtle realm, energetically speaking, but also just the, the impact that's left on those that have been left behind that are often quite shocked. And that kind of, it's almost any kind of trauma is like throwing a rock in a still lake. It creates ripples. The suicide in particular usually is like a big rock that gets thrown in and it can just run havoc on people's lives who are left behind. So I find that my shamanic work can be very helpful with people who have passed on, help them to transition, to go to a, a different place that is more conducive for their wholeness as a soul. So they remember that they're a soul, that they're not stuck, so to speak. They can't be really stuck because on a spiritual, deeper spiritual level, like time doesn't really exist. We're just playing this game of time, but nonetheless, it's real and it's not real. It's like paradoxical. So a lot of my work helps re remove the trauma around just loss of death and what that entails. And that death energy can really uh, affect uh, people's well-being because it's literally the opposite of life. So when there's, if there's children around somebody who's just died, especially children being real sensitive, it's good to sage them off or not allow them to be around that for too long because it's so easy. And I see it all the time. I work with a lot of people who've just lost people to COVID. And it's good to have some kind of like cleansing or some kind of like a ceremony of transition for that person and for oneself so that it's not five years down the line and you're still dealing with this, the suicide of your best friend from when you were a teenager. So I work with that, a lot of death energy, so to speak, and a lot of resolution around death energy. I work a lot with, again, sacred tobacco to go back and to neutralize that scene, that susto, that shock or that trauma in order for there to be a ripple effect at that moment, as well as in the present moment with the person I'm working on. There's a ripple effect backwards and from backwards forwards, and there's a kind of a meeting of those things. And those ripples have a healing effect as opposed to a diminishing effect on life force. So those are two examples of things that I see quite commonly Okay. So if I were to come to you, like, how would you start to work with me? What are some like things that you do? Traditionally, this is just how I work. People will show up, whether it's over the phone or Zoom or in person. And I just ask them what they need help with. We do a little talking and then I get them on the table or have them lay down and I scan their energy field, see where there might be some like highlights where there, it looks like things might be congested or there's a lack of flow or just whatever jumps out at me. I don't kind of get too pulled into the story of it, so to speak. And then I work with some sacred singing and my tools, feathers, stones, tobacco, rattling, drumming, things like that. 
And usually the first part of my healing work with folks is seeing what is heavy or seeing what is clouding the song of their soul and removing that, clearing that out. And a lot of times it's not even our own stuff. It's just other people's stuff that we're just exposed to on a daily basis. There's a lot of people who are afraid right now. They're stuck in sympathetic nervous system response because they're so stressed with COVID and with election and all that. So sometimes it's kind of cleaning out a lot of foreign energy from the space, but also underneath that, more of the specificity or the acuteness of what a person is coming towards. As I do that, and as I release certain areas, I'll receive varying communication of like maybe an understanding of what that is, like a word or like a, a little vision will open up, a little scene, or I might experience a presence of something like, like an ancestor like nearby not always. I just do that. And then sometimes there's a couple uh, sweeping layers of a person of removing what is causing distress or dis-ease or things like that. And then the, the second part is like blessing. It's one thing to clear those areas out, but you don't want there to just be a space because more than likely the same stuff will come back. The weeds will regrow. So then it's bringing in the antithesis of that light into those areas, blessings, peace, and filling up. As I do that process, I'll just continuously receive information so that as we come out of the healing space, I'll do a little debriefing and maybe there's some next steps or some homework of what they can take with them. Sometimes I get a lot of information and I share that. Sometimes I get a lot of information, but I'm told not to share that because people will get caught up in the story and it's not all that helpful. Sometimes it's really kinesthetic. It's just a lot of energy moving and a lot of release. And there's just not so much to, that I received on kind of an intuitive level. So it's very unique from time to time and person to person. But I do try to let them know a little bit about some of what came up and give them some next steps that are empowering. Like maybe you should work with the candle, just meditate on the fire, work with the spirit of fire to, to bring in more heat and more action into your life or usually fear is constricting colder energy, especially death. So having working with a, a, a fire outside for a couple of nights in a row with some offerings, that's just one example. It might be a mantra. It might be like go for a walk. It might be a certain book that can create a more intellectual philosophy that helps them transition. So it just depends on what they're needing. And that's how I work. The information comes out of that space. And very often, especially I think with this year in particular, it's such a ancestral year and there's just so much resetting happening and so much deep trauma coming to the surface and fear that it's going to take a while to move beyond the chaos factor of what happened because there's so many moving parts sometimes with initiation. And looking back, I think a lot of people will have hindsight 2020. People will have more clarity, three, five, especially 10 years down the line of what happened collectively this year and also what happened personally this year that allowed them to be who they are. And yeah, so sometimes you go through initiations and it doesn't make sense. And, and then over time, little pieces of the puzzle are provided that build over time to give you a greater understanding of an ally that's much more complex and much more sophisticated, much more deep than just where you're able to understand now, because there's just cycles and seasons that we have to move through of maturity to be able to get to deeper levels of clarity. Yeah. 
very often, especially when it's a healing crisis, there's nothing to really do except just go with the flow and surrender and trust that um, it'll make sense later. Mm. Yeah. Otherwise it, it, you can just, it slows down the process or you get stuck in it, so to speak. That doesn't mean that you don't know that you're being guided or that you're starting to see, see patterns that are arising. It just may mean that it's something that will be revealed a little bit later in a more tangible way. Because sometimes the mind is the last to know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's just really helpful. And I appreciate your insight so much. And I know that a lot of people might find what we've talked about today frustrating because it seems so intangible. It seems so out there and like very spiritual and very like whatever. And it is like a lot of it is really intangible. There's a lot of shit going on that we can't put our finger on and identify exactly what it is. And it's the analytical part of our being that like wants to have a story, wants to know how all the pieces connect together and how it makes sense. And what is the bigger purpose here? And please tell me this is all going to mean something like that's what we want. And it does all mean something, but we may not know that in this lifetime. Like my grandchildren may know that about me later on or my great grandchildren or something. Anything else that you want to add about shamanic practitioner work that you do or the ancestors ceremony, ritual, healing trauma, ancestrally, anything else you want to add? It's my craft. It's my passion. It's something I've been extremely devoted to. And the only thing that I've been really devoted to my whole life that just keeps coming, I find endlessly fascinating and endlessly deep. It requires a certain amount of courage. It's one thing to be afraid and to have a lot of problems. And, but doing this kind of work, if you really want to get to the other side of it, requires courage, just a willingness to feel things, to see things, to hear things, and to not get stuck in those things, but to move through those things in a process of expansion and an express process of maturing. So I do, you know, let people know it's, it's not always easy. It's not always the easiest path. If it's something that you decide to follow, and that's just any kind of like deep, authentic spiritual path, it's, it requires something of you. And it, one of the ways it was mentioned to me before is the price to like empowerment is sacrifice and it's being uncomfortable. And like what you were just mentioning, it's like learning how to be comfortable, not knowing, or to be in an, I don't know place, or like we are collectively, we're on the precipice of a new year and we really don't know what's going to happen in the world. And it's the void. It's the womb. Anything and everything can be born out of that, can emanate out of that. So it's a very mysterious path, very magical, very beautiful, but it does require some sacrifice and it does require seeing because again, shaman means one who sees in the dark or one who sees the unknown. So to be a seer just requires initiation and that requires courage. And so that's not for everybody, but if uh, your listeners feel the call and have courage and the intention, it's really for me, at least, my experiences that I've had in this path have led me to what I call the renaissance of my life. This is definitely a renaissance of my life that I've been on for over, almost 20 years. And, and before that, it was uh, <laughs> the dark ages, just not being awake, not being aware. And, uh, and it's easy to not be awake and not be aware. It's easy to get lost in Netflix. It's easy to get seduced by distraction in these days and age. There's a multi-billion dollar industry of advertising to get us to not be present, to not feel into ourselves and to not know ourselves. It's an immense adventure. So I would just tell your listeners if they want to heal and if they want to be more empowered and 
if they want a more adventurous, mysterious life, that engaging in some of these practices and tools can be a powerful catalyst for that. And then I'm always available as a guide in those areas. If anyone has questions, they can always reach out to me or utilize my services. I'm here to help serve and transform so that people don't needlessly have to suffer again and again. There's no shortage of abilities to things that we can employ that can help us. I love it. So can you tell people how they can work with you? Yeah. My website is broadcastsoul.com. I'm sure you'll have the information in the podcast. I have a, a newsletter. I send out sometimes recordings of some sacred songs or prayers or little articles that are helpful. I'm starting to do more and more training online with Zoom as technology goes Something I've been doing this year is just a Monday night support group for folks to come together and just to be supported with community. And sometimes you just need your tribe. You need like-minded folks to be able to like feel yourself around and um, also sharing techniques and tools in that study group that allows you to just feel connected to community and also more connected to spirit. So there'll be offerings, more offerings with trainings around that in the new year. And also, again, either in person or over the phone or over Zoom, I can do healing sessions remotely, basically outlining what I was mentioning earlier, where we do some talking, go into a kind of a, an altered state where I do some healing work and then giving some next steps in afterwards. So yeah, it's broadcast soul, S-O-L. It's like soul Spanish for sun.com. Those are some offerings that I share. Love it. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to share this with people. It's been something I've been wanting to talk about on the podcast since before I started it. So thank you for being the first person to come on to talk about ancestral healing. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. It's been a great honor and I'm happy to share. All right. Well, if we weren't there before, I think it's safe to say that the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast has officially gone woo-woo. But yeah, let's not kid ourselves. We were there before. (laughs) We've been there for a while and I love it. So everything that Dave and I talked about in today's interview is going to be in the show notes, including how you can work with Dave remotely. His website, the books, everything that we mentioned is all going to be in the show notes. You can find show notes at lindsaylockett.com forward slash podcast. And as always, you can catch me on Instagram at I am Lindsay Lockett. 